Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that he had seen when he rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, I want to go back to the story that um, Bruno read about the, the wise men that came to visit Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. And um, <clears throat> one of my favorite stories of, the, of the, this, this time of year um, it always amazes me the depths of uh, the teaching that's in it the things that it teaches us about the human heart and uh, the significance of the saviour but um, it's kind of an odd story and uh, perhaps it fits in with the, uh, the time of year because people do all kinds of odd things at this time of year um, our daughter our son-in-law and uh, and our five-week-old grandson uh, all have matching Christmas pajamas. <laughs> um, apparently, that's my fault and my suggestion. <laughs> and um, uh, we have a Christmas present for our dog. Um, we do odd things like uh, hum all these dreadful songs that appear in shops at this time of year. Uh, we wear hats to eat our dinner. Um, and everybody's got a neighbor who's got too many, way too many lights on their house. And uh, it keeps us up at night. <laughs> we all do odd things at this time of year. But uh, this, is a, this is kind of an odd story. Um, uh, and it's a fascinating story. And uh, I'm sure that, like me, many of you have come to love it as well. Uh, but it's a story of a great quest, uh, a great journey that uh, people have taken, undertaken to go from, from, the, from the east to the west, uh, or the east to the west. And um, uh, it has a sense of tension about it because uh, it involves a king, King Herod, and Herod tries to get in on the story. He's not really part of the story, but um, he has this uh, apparent shared concern to know this new king that's been born. 
uh, and he wants to find out where the king is born. Uh, so he wants to get involved in it. There's an element of supernatural about the whole thing, uh, with a star in the sky. Uh, and it's more than merely an astronomical event, because it seems to, to indicate precisely where the, this baby was to be born. How it did that, we don't know, but um, that's, that's what the testimony is of, of Matthew. And, um, and the odd thing, perhaps, about this story as we read it this evening is, is what's going on in the hearts of these men. These wise men that come from the East. It's um, because it's obvious that they came with the intention uh, to worship and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to focus for a few moments on on verse 11. And uh, just where they come into the house and, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. It's only half a verse, actually. And I believe there's three important elements in that half a verse that I trust will be used by God this evening to probe our own hearts because it, it speaks a great deal about the hearts of these men as they came to, to worship Jesus. Um, and that's what the Bible and our, the ministry of the Holy Spirit does for us. That God comes by his Spirit and he takes the words that are written on the page. And he applies them into our hearts and uses them to probe us a little bit and, and to examine us. And so three things. First of all, let's, uh, let's notice here that the wise men saw Jesus. Um, now, clearly they went into a building where they saw Jesus with their eyes. <laughs> uh, you could take it that way. And you could say, well, that's a bit obvious, Matthew. What, what, okay. They saw Jesus in the corner. But... As we all know, there's more to, there is, when you see someone, you know fine that there's more to someone than meets the eye. Your first impressions are almost certainly never the right impression of a person. And if you're not looking carefully, you can miss the real significance of the person in front of you. Um, and in a, in a sense, if you do that, you don't really see them. You may see them physically, but you don't really see them uh, What's it, that film, Avatar, you know, I can't remember what they're called, the, the alien types. And they, when they say they know each other, they say, I see you. And you know what that means. It's more than just physically seeing. It's you, we understand you, we know who you are. Uh, Rico Tice, who's a, an Anglican minister down in London, um, tells the story of how he went, uh, a few years ago, he went to lunch um, and it was an important lunch. And he was waiting outside the room uh, to go in. And he found himself standing uh, opposite a young man. And uh, for five minutes they, they stood opposite each other, not really saying anything to each other. And it was only afterwards that he had discovered that he had been standing next to Prince William. And he hadn't recognized who Prince William was. Uh, so Rico Tice could see him. But he didn't recognize him for who he really was. These men saw Jesus and they recognized who he was. And they saw his significance. Now how they knew that this was the baby they were after uh, is a fascinating question. How did they know? 
Matthew says that they are wise men from the east. Uh, tradition has it there are three of them, but we don't actually know those three of them. Um, people say it's three because of the three gifts, but it may not have been three. But they were people who, they were magi, they were uh, people who observed the skies. They were kind of astrologers in the, in the east, in Babylon area. And clearly there had been something insignificant in the sky. This star had appeared in the sky. And we're not told how they made this connection between the star and the sky, which obviously they felt was very significant. And the idea of a king of the Jews, uh, it's my conviction that probably it came through Daniel several hundred years before. Maybe 600 years before the birth of Christ. And Daniel and others were forcibly um, uh, transported to Babylon from, from Judea. And they left the writings of the Old Testament prophets in the east somewhere. And so those writings got disseminated. And so these wise men, they, were, they probably read you know, the scriptures and other writings, but they began to think of them as significant and began to put them two and two together. Think, is this the sign about this king about which the Old Testament prophets speak of? And so now they're finally here and they see Jesus and they recognize him for who, they, who he really is. The one that was promised in those writings. And signaled by that star in the sky. Friends, there's, there's a need today to see Jesus as he truly is. And it's not just seeing with our eyes or reading on a page of scripture. Uh, somebody's account of Jesus. But seeing the significance of Jesus. In a sense, seeing with the heart and soul. We live in a society, I think, that's increasingly confused um, about all kinds of things, but it's, it's confused about this time of year and what we do at this time of year as Christians. Um, there was a newspaper article uh, a few years ago, five years ago or so, uh, that said that one in five people uh, don't know that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. And actually about one in 20 think that's what Easter is about, <laughs> the birth of Jesus. Uh, Bart Simpson, cartoon character, thought it was about the birth of Santa. You, know, you can see how confusing the whole thing is. Uh, people are kind of messed up about it. And I have found, you know, in, in my time here in Solihull, that people are, uh, will know the name of Jesus, but they have no idea who he really is. And even people who go to church, they, they still don't have a real idea of who Jesus is and what he came to do. But for those who have truly become Christians, something deeper has happened to them. Uh, it's like a, a light has come on inside. And suddenly they can see when previously they were in darkness. And suddenly they grasp that he was not just some baby in the Middle East somewhere. But he was the very son of God. God the son. Come as a human being. As our last reading from John told us. That he came in the, pro- in the fulfillment of the prophecies of old. And he came as a servant to rescue and to save people who don't deserve to be rescued. To, dis- to rescue them from the penalty and the power of sin. 
and give forgiveness for sins. And that's the meaning of Jesus' name. Jesus, Yeshua, Jehovah saves. That's what Jesus means. And I just ask you this evening, has that happened to you? Are you uh, someone whose eyes have been opened to Jesus Christ? I'm not asking about whether you know Jesus as an historical figure. I'm not even asking you about whether you know him as a religious figure. Nor am I asking you about whether you are somebody who goes to church. I'm asking you whether in your heart of hearts you know Jesus and you see him for who he is. The son of God who came to save. And that's necessary for what comes next. Because secondly, these wise men, they saw and then they they worshipped. They worshipped. And what an odd thing to do when you see a baby. Uh, They fell down and worshipped him. Well, worship is, of course, in a sense, ascribing worth to someone uh, or something. And these men ascribe worth to the baby Jesus. And it's, it's a physical act for them. They fall down and worship. Uh, it takes a lot to get somebody to fall down in front of someone else. Uh, but these men did it in front of this baby. Now, this idea of worship, it just seemed like a strange thing in our modern culture. Um, and we don't like to make too much of the idea of worship we play it down but the simple truth is that all human beings have an innate tendency to worship something in their lives Um, and and that innate tendency to worship kind of blurts out in other ways it sets the priorities for your life it determines what you really give yourself to in life you know, and everybody has a tell of some kind who they really worship in life. So a tell is an idea of poker. I don't recommend playing poker, and I don't. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when you play poker, apparently, uh, people have a tell. If you ever watched James Bond or whatever, you know, Le Chiffre has a, has a tell, doesn't he? When his eyes start to bleed because he's under stress. He has a tell. People can tell when he's... Li- when he's Bluffing or something. People have a tell about what they worship. Because it comes out in all kinds of ways in their lives. And you can see what people worship. Now generally speaking, we, may, we, we, we see it in the way that we ascribe worth to celebrities. You know, everybody loves celebrities. Um, and people worship celebrity. I was, uh, I was checking up yesterday who are, who are the most significant the most followed people on Twitter I don't know if anybody here follows Twitter but um, it's, quite in, it's quite intriguing uh, the top person that's followed on Twitter is Barack Obama former president of the United States 133 million people follow him and he in turn follows uh, what is it? It's 560,000 people. I just wonder how he keeps up with them all. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe he really follows them. But, but every, there's lots of people who be, can go around the world and say, I have Barack Obama following me. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Uh, or what's the second person? Elon Musk, owner of Twitter now. 121 million people. Who's third? Justin Bieber. Now you get to the singers and the celebrities, the pop stars and so on. Justin Bieber, 113 million. Katy Perry, 
these are all stars that seem to have faded somewhat, but they're still followed. 108 million. And then we get the first sportsman, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, coming to the twilight of his career. 106 million people follow him. He only follows 62, which seems to me very wise. Because he can keep up with those at least. You see, people want to know what celebrities are saying. Uh, And maybe even follow them and do what they're doing. Even though they've never actually met them. And on the other side of that relationship, there are people who desire the adulation of other people. Uh, They want to be worshipped and exalted in the eyes of others. And if they can get power or demand it, then that's great. If I can get celebrity or political position or whatever. And that's kind of like what Herod was like in this story. He was a king of Judea. Um, He didn't want a rival. As the story unfolds, you see that clearly. But he himself wanted to be the very center of attention. In fact, fact, I think he was the one who who set about the rebuilding of the temple and the whole temple complex uh, around about the time of Jesus was a massive building project and he wanted the adulation of the people. Isn't Herod great? He's done the great things. Herod the Great. But because he wanted to be at the center of things, he was willing to kill a generation of baby boys. See, worship in the end is deeply personal. And history and anthropology and sociology and many of the other ologies show us that we have this innate desire to worship something or somebody. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, You have set eternity in the hearts of men. There is this desire for something greater and a desire to worship something greater. And that desire to worship, it raises an interesting question. A question that uh, C.S. Lewis, you may remember the great uh, writer of the Narnia Chronicles. C.S. Lewis raised this question. He said, if there is such a thing as hunger, is it not evidence that there's such a thing as food? You think about that? You know, if hunger exists and people feel hungry, isn't that evidence that there's such a thing as food? Something that will satisfy that hunger? And there may be, uh, you know, foods are good for us and, and, and just right for our needs. Um, And there may be foods that are not good for us. But Lewis is saying that the desire is evidence that the real thing exists. Desire for something is evidence in itself that the real thing exists. So let's apply that to this notion of worship. If human beings really do have an innate desire to worship something, doesn't that tell you that it's evidence that there's something worth worshipping? Someone worth, worth worshipping? We may try and worship all kinds of other things that are bad for us. But still, it still means there's something worth out there worth worshipping. Someone out there worth worshipping. Well, here he is. Jesus Christ. He is worthy to be worshipped. 
He is worth falling down in front of. He is the prophet who is the word of God incarnate. He is the the priest who not only will offer sacrifice for sinful people, but he himself is the sacrifice that is going to be offered for sinful people. And he is the king of kings and lord of lords, the prophet, priest, and king, the true Messiah that's been promised. And he is above all authority and all power, visible and invisible. That's why Isaiah says, as we heard earlier, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. No, he's not just a helpless baby in a manger. But he is the divine Messiah, prophet, priest, and king that everyone needs. So they saw, they worshipped, and then finally they gave. They gave those, uh, those well-known gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's been a great deal written about those, the meaning of those gifts. Uh, did gold signify kingship? Did frankincense uh, mean deity? Did myrrh, a spice used in embalming, mean his foreshadow his death, perhaps? Perhaps these things are true. But Matt doesn't, Matthew doesn't really say much about that. The important point is that they opened up literally their treasure chests and brought out those valuable gifts. And friends, a gift signifies something about your relationship to someone. That if you're willing to give up, uh, give away your treasures to someone, you're saying something about your devotion to that person that you're giving it to. And these men, in giving those gifts, were giving themselves to this baby in a manger. They were giving themselves to Jesus. They had seen him, they had worshipped him, and now they were committing themselves to him. So I just ask you this evening as we finish, are you willing to give yourself to Jesus this evening? There's perhaps no more important thing that you and I can do than give ourselves to Jesus Christ. And if you are willing to give yourself to him, then all you need to do is come to him quite and you know, it's the normal way to do that uh, is to be quiet and come to him in prayer. To thank him for his work as a saviour. To ask forgiveness for all your sins. Commit yourself then to, to doing all that he has, uh, has called you to do. To follow him all your days. Uh, and then to join a church. Maybe a church like this one. Join a church that preaches the Jesus Christ of salvation. And is full of people who want to help you grow and flourish as a, a new Christian. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're just curious and bits of the jigsaw puzzle are kind of floating around in your head and you can't put it all together. And you don't know. Um, and you need to go on something of a journey to find the Savior. But there's a, there's a sentence you'll often find on Christmas cards at this time of year. Um, which says something like this, wise men sought Jesus, they still seek him today. Uh, You know, if you're wise, you'll seek Jesus today. You'll seek him. 
And if you do, want to do that, there's a couple of things that you can do. Uh, firstly, what I mentioned earlier. We have a, we have a number of these little booklets. Uh, please take them. Read them. Even, even if you're a Christian, read them. It's great just to read through the gospel from beginning to end all the way through. We're so busy chopping up the Bible that we never get a sense of the, the story of it. So take the book and read the whole thing. And uh, you'll see Jesus. The essential Jesus. You'll see what he's like. Uh, so you can have it for free. Take it as you go out this evening. Another thing you can do is we do occasionally run a Christianity Explored course. Um, that's about six or seven sessions with other people where you read the Bible, you watch a video, you discuss together with other people what you've seen. And it takes you through the story, the basics of the story of Jesus. And we'd be glad to do that with you. And if you're interested in that, let me know. But it's our hope that by the grace of God, you'll be led to give yourself this Christmas time to Jesus Christ. And you will know that salvation for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful uh, time of year, a wonderful story that we can read. And we pray that you'd help us to see Jesus as he really is. We pray you'd help us to, our hearts to be drawn out to worship him. And thirdly, to give ourselves to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.